uncle who's passed away now, but it was my grandmother's brother. He was a pastor, and I remember him saying years ago that he was at a conference, and somebody asked him, says, uh, you know, on a piece of paper, I want you to write down, what is it about church that you like? And he wrote down there, he said, I wrote down people. He said, and then the next question, the, the leader of the conference said, now I want you to write down what you don't like about church. He wrote, people. <laughs> so, so, you know, he, my uncle, uh, I heard him say one time in joking, he said, I love people. He said, that's why I love to minister. He said, but at the same time, I feel like there are days if you could take people out of ministry, it'd be so much more enjoyable because then we wouldn't have any problems. He said, but I say that and I'm as much a part of the problem, he said, as anybody because I'm fleshly too. And we can all relate to that. But so having, you know, that thought, we come back to our question, why do we go to church, which is why we title, why we title this tonight, what we did, because just like my uncle, we could all say we felt disgruntled at church before and gotten frustrated with things at church and just said, you know, I'm just not going to go anymore. I, uh, there's so much frustration down there. I will say this, if you're at a church and there's a lot of frustration uh, and a lot of, a lot of turmoil, then I might would consider relocating <laughs> or look for another church and prayerfully consider it because I don't think you should go to church and leave in worse shape than you arrived, okay? Because if that's, if that's a regular thing, then there's an issue there. And I've attended churches like that before. Uh, everybody has their ups and downs, and there's going to be ups and downs in churches. <clears throat> but, you know, as we, as we also think about that concept, we could go, you know, if I was to ask a kid, you know, oh, what's your thoughts about going to church? And they might look at you and say, well, we're going Easter and Christmas. That's the two most important times of the year. And believe it or not, there are some adults that believe that, that you go to church just on special occasions and... Um, Maybe you go to church because you don't want God to get mad at you. Kind of like if I do enough good, it'll outweigh the bad. There are people that kind of have that mentality, believe it or not, and that's not the right mentality, but there are people that actually have that concept. That's what they think is biblical. So then I could ask you this question, do we come to church so we can worship God? Because you could turn right around and answer me that question and say, well, I can worship God anywhere. And you'd be exactly right. So... We can't technically, technically, we can't say that's the, really the best answer is that, well, I come to church, I can worship God. I've honestly had some of the best worship I've ever had outside of a church building. So we know we can worship God without being here. So the next question I could ask, do we come for good Bible teaching? And I would tell you that you could go home and turn on the Internet and find a lot better Bible teaching than you're going to find here tonight. So, so you can't even say that. You know, you may go to a church that has... Uh, like a Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah or whoever, you know, that is the pastor. But you can find some really good Bible teaching at home on the TV or on the Internet. So why do we think it's important to come to church? Why did God think it was important for us to come to church? Because the church was ordained by God, okay? This is His. He's the one who instituted this. He's the one who ordained it. We're here because this is what God said we need to do. So the question is, why do we come? Why do we come to the church? Why do we go to church? You know, we are the church. But so when I say, why do we go to church? I mean, why do we gather at the church building is how I should technically say it. I think these passages of Scripture here, these verses that we've read, I think they answer that question. I really do. And we've got three quick things we want to look at, and they are very, very quick tonight. But if, if we read 19 through 25. But before we read that, again, I say this all the time. I know I've said it probably at least five times in the last two months. 
And that is that the theme of Hebrews is really better. I mean, if you had to summarize the theme into one word, it would be better. And, and that is that the whole theme here is talking about Christ is better than this. Christ is better than this. And he's, and he's compared back and to with the Old Testament and, and the sacrifices. But Christ, his sacrifice was better. And that's kind of what Hebrews 10 is talking about because it, it's speaking of animal sacrifices and how they're insufficient. I'm not going to read you that chapter, the entire chapter, but if you were to go back and read all of that, you would see that that's what you'll find. Matter of fact, in verse 5, uh, the Bible right here talks about how Christ's death fulfilled God's will. It says, therefore, when we came, he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And then verse 8 says, Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings from sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. And he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. And then in verse 10 it says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Again, there's that thing better that Christ, his sacrifice of his body on the cross, once for all was enough. And again, I'm just leading up to something here. And verse 11 says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, speaking of Jesus, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witness, witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And then we lead into where we were at tonight. So you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's, he's comparing Jesus and his sacrifice and how much better it is to the Old Testament law and, and their sacrifices. Jesus fulfilled all those things. But then he says here, therefore, brethren. And again, he's, he's speaking about what we talked about Sunday. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness or confidence... To enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. The high priest, that's Jesus. But here we, answers, we begin to answer our question tonight. Why do, we, why do we gather as a church or why do we go to church? However you want to say it. Verse 22 says, let us. And I like the way the writer says this, and two or three times here he says, let us. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, point number one is going to, to be we meet to stay strong. 
And that's going to start in verse 23. But I want us to note something in verse 22 leading into verse 23. And that is this, that anytime we come into God's house to worship Him, or I should say this, anytime we come into God's presence to worship Him, whether it be here as a, a body of believers in a corporate type worship, or it be in your daily devotion, whatever it may be, notice that the writer says, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does that mean? Well, to put it in a nutshell, I believe that when we come before God, we should come with, we should come with the right kind of heart, with the right kind of attitude, the right kind of spirit. And when we come before God, we need to make sure we come clean. Now that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that when you come to Him, you're going to be perfect and sinless. No, you may come into God's presence and realize, God, I've sinned today. I need you to clean me. Okay, I need you to forgive me my sins. But when we come in to worship the Lord, no matter where it be at, I don't believe we should enter into worship with a, what's the word I want to use here? Um, ah, there's a word I want to use and I can't think of what it is, but we shouldn't come, I'll say, how's that? In other words, it shouldn't just be like we fly into God's presence and fly right back out. I, really, I think we need to realize that anytime we come before God's presence, it doesn't have to be here anywhere that we come into the presence of God to worship Him. We need to realize that that's a holy time. It's a special time. It's a time to be taken serious. It's a time to be reverent. It's a time to, to realize that we've come before a holy God. And, and what's really awesome, as I said, when we come into God's presence... We never really get out of God's presence because God's everywhere, okay? So, but, but on that thought, you know, we even think about in the Old Testament where Moses was out there tending his father-in-law's sheep and he saw the bush burning. What did God say to Moses? Take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Why are you in holy ground? You're in my presence. That's why it was holy. The bush wasn't holy. The ground wasn't holy, so to speak. But because God was there, it was holy. So anytime we meet with God, I think it's a special, uh, precious, holy time. And we don't need to take that lightly. We don't need to just fly into God's presence and throw out a couple of prayer wishes or lists or whatever you want to call them, read a few verses and say, spoon, I think we've had my devotional time today. I think anytime you come in before God's presence, we need to come in uh, with the right attitude. But in the context of what he is writing this here about, about coming, because he's in just a moment, he's going to talk about assembling together. I think we can take it in the context of speaking of coming into God's house on Sundays and Wednesdays and whatever days we gather. I think we need to come into these times and we need to come in and be reverent in how we worship the Lord. Um, I don't think there's any particular way we have to worship. The Bible doesn't give us a, a, a recipe for how worship should go except that it should be God-honoring. It should always be about Him. It should be glorifying His name. It should lift Him up. And it should always be done in, a, in an orderly way. I believe it shouldn't be full of confusion. I think it should be in a way that he gets all the credit and all the glory and all the honor. But he says here in verse 23, as he moves on down after he's talking about that, he says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Well, I think the first thing that we do is we, we need to come to church. We need to meet. We need, as a body of believer, believers, I think we need to gather so that we may, first off, stay strong uh, as individuals, stay committed to God and be strengthened because, honestly, I don't know about you, but I need to be here. 
I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but not only do I need to be in God's presence every day, but I need to be here with a corporate body of believers. There are some people that doesn't really think that this is that important, that you can that you can watch good preaching on TV, and you can. I mean, you really can. You can, Especially now with the Internet, you can tune into some good preaching anytime you want to. One of my favorite preachers, and the reason I like to hear him preach is, uh, and you may not like him at all, and that's Ed Newton. I love to hear Ed Newton preach, but I've seen Ed Newton in a lot of camps. I've met him, and so I, I, I just, and he makes it, well, as I said the other day, he puts it on my level, okay? It's not, I don't have to think real hard, and he always makes it life application. I like to hear Charles Stanley preach for the same reason. He can take the biblical sense, and then he can put it into a life application type principle so I can apply it to my life. I love to hear David Jeremiah preach, uh, and, and I could go right on down the list. But there's one thing that I can't do when I listen to these guys preach on TV. I can't fellowship with that TV. I can turn it up and I can turn it down and I can turn it off, but I don't get any fellowship out of it. I can sit and listen to it and I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm blessed, but I need to be with you guys. And we're going to look at that more in detail in just a minute. But we need to come together in order to stay strong. Notice what he said. He says, let us hold fast the confession. That hold fast, that's important. He said, the confession of our hope. Now that word hope there, if you have a, I'm in a New King James, your, your translation may have the word faith there. There's some translations put faith there, but the word faith in some translations means hope. But where it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, that word hope there kind of gives us the idea of looking forward. Anytime you're hoping for something, you're looking forward, aren't you? You're not looking back. You're hoping for something. And so when we think about let's hold fast our confession our, our profession of faith in Jesus Christ, of our hope, we're looking forward. What are we looking forward to? The return of Christ. And he talks about that in just a little few moments. We're going to get right here at the, at the end of this, and he, at the end of our passage. He's going to bring that back up. But we're, we're hoping, we're looking forward to that hope. But he says to do it without wavering. And John Phillips in his commentary, he said this. He said the Hebrews during this time here we're in constant danger of going back to their old lives. Why? Because of all the pressures brought to bear upon them by religion, society, and, um, and some uh, um, struggles that they were undergoing. I can't, I can't talk tonight. But from the government, some, some struggles that the government was bringing upon them. So because of the hardships that they were encouraging, the things that was coming upon them, there were some tendencies to want to go back to their old way. And Paul, uh, not Paul, but the writer here of Hebrews said, he said, listen, I need you to hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. In other words, I know it's hard now and I know it's difficult, but you keep looking forward to that hope. That blessed hope, that assurance that Jesus Christ is going to come back. And we can apply that to our lives today. We need to stay strong. And right now, more than ever, more than ever, it's more difficult to come to church than it's probably ever been in my lifetime. Why? Because there's a fear. The fear is that we could get sick. The fear is that we could get the coronavirus and we may die. And there are, in fact, people in our church that don't need to get it because if they get it, it could be detrimental to them. Um, but can I say something? And I say it in love, so I, I don't want well, y'all don't please don't miss it. And please, the people at home, please hear my heart when I say this. Uh, I've had people misquote me before because they either 
dozed off for about 30 seconds into what I was saying, and they only heard part of what I said. They heard the first part and the last part. And uh, kind of like a, I had a youth guy a long time ago. Matter of fact, Megan and I were talking about that the other day. This happens all the time in church, but uh, a, a friend of Meg's, we'll put it like that, she was attending the church one time that I was pastoring at. We had a youth pastor, and they were in the youth group. Well, my youth pastor was sharing was sharing about somebody he knew who used to be uh, struggle with homosexuality. He got saved, and then he didn't anymore, and then he got his life in order. Well, somewhere she left that room that night and went home to her whole mom and daddy. Did you know the youth pastor used to be gay? He used to be a homosexual. And, and anyway, and then so it, and I was like, no, you know, so it was like, that, where did you get that from? And but she dozed off somewhere in the middle of that conversation and she didn't hear it all. And I was like, where did you get that from? So anyway, so if y'all blink or doze off or go to the bathroom and only hear part of it, uh, you're going to miss what I'm going to say. I believe we need to be uh, respectful to the coronavirus. I do. I think we need to be smart. And there are people that do not need to be here. So that's why I say those that listen in at home that hear this, please know that if you don't need to be here, you don't need to be here. But at the same time, I also look at where we're at society. And if we're not careful, we're going to lose our privilege to gather and worship too. I think that's I think that's something we need to be mindful of. And I know we can look and say, well, Brother Vance, we don't need to gather right now because people could get sick. I can go back into the book of Acts and look and where if the church gathered then, they were in jeopardy of being put to death. So their life was at risk back then. Uh, we even read, uh, well, we read books. We hear testimony of missionaries. There are people in other countries right now that if they get caught gathering together, they could be executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying here is, and this is why I said here in my heart, we do have to be cautious, but we also need to be careful that we don't let the fear of this disease keep us from being the church that we're supposed to be too. I think there's a fine line there, and if, and if we're not careful, we'll let the government dictate what we can and cannot do to the point that we'll lose the privileges that we have. Matter of fact, in California, we're seeing that right now. There's a pastor that got in trouble this past Sunday um, because he gathered and he, they worshiped and now he's, been, he's in trouble. And so what I'm saying is we have, to be, we have to be mindful that, yes, there is a disease that is going to make people sick and it's going to kill us if we get it, certain ones. Not everybody, but certain ones will die from it. I told you all the other day I just had an uncle die a week ago from it. So the threat is real. But I can't let that threat override and let that fear swell up inside of me to the point that I don't trust God and say, God, if you want me to gather, I'm going to gather. I just need to be cautious when I do it. So uh, I hope I didn't offend anybody by saying that. I'm just saying I think we, if we're not careful, uh, we can lose our privileges to be able to gather. So we need to gather every chance that we get. And when we do gather, we are strengthened. We strengthen each other. And he tells us to hold fast to that confession. Keep looking forward. It was a difficult time for the Hebrews here as they were, they were gathering to worship there just as it is now, probably even more so then. But we need to gather to have fellowship one with the other. The other thing I want you to note here is we need to be spurred on. Verse 24 tells us this. 
He says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And, and I want to say something about verse 23 that I didn't bring out that I meant to, and that is this. When he says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, what does he say after that? He says, he who promised is faithful. Our Lord is faithful. We need to make sure that we're, we're gathering to worship every chance we get. We need to worship Him every chance we get. We don't ever need to take for granted the, op, the, the privilege and the opportunity we have to gather and to worship in God's house. But again, going back to verse 24, we need to be spurred on. It says, let us consider one another. And on that one another there, I want you to note this. And I think this is something that we all struggle with if we're not careful. But Christianity was never intended to be a solo thing. It's not an individual thing. Yes, we all have to make our decision to follow Christ individually. But I think God intended for the church to come together corporately. We need to be together. Listen, if you, if you ain't figured it out by now, let me tell you, Christianity is about relationship. It's about a relationship with God, Jesus Christ. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior in order to be saved. But then once you get saved, then it becomes about relationships within the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important. Matter of fact, uh, and you may feel the same way I do, I've had people in church and still feel this way about people in church that I feel closer to sometimes than some of my own blood family. Why? Because some of my blood family don't know Jesus. So they don't have that bond with me that I have with somebody who's not my blood kin. But we are kin through the blood of Christ. And there's that, there's that connection. But it's about relationships. He said, let us consider one another in order to stir up. Now, those words there, stir up, in the Greek it means to irritate or to spur on. So the writer is saying that we, are, we need to come together as believers so that we might spur each other on. You know, to spur somebody on, that means to, to kind of, well, if you've ever ridden a horse uh, and you've ever had to put spurs on to get him to go, you know what spurs do. You give him a little bump, just a little bit, back there in his flanks, and he'll, he'll go. If he's not used to the spurs and you're giving it to him, he may jump out from under you, so you have to be careful. But sometimes some horses have to have that little encouragement to get them going, but that spurring kind of gets them going. That's what's intended by the thought of spurring them on. Uh, I like being around brothers and sisters in Christ who spur me on, who uh, encourage me, that make me want to be a better Christian. I hope that I would be that for somebody else. But that's what we're supposed to do. Is when we come together as believers in worship, we shouldn't come together to grumble. We shouldn't come together to gossip. We shouldn't come together to cause problems or any of those things. We should come together to worship the Lord and encourage each other, spur each other on, uh, charge each other up, make, make ourselves better Christians. I, just being around Brother Ron ought to make me want to be a better Christian. He should, he should encourage me. I should watch his walk in church and just as we walk in, if I come in and I'm a little bit down and he comes in with a smile on his face, and, and he's, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, and, and I should automatically be lifted in my spirit because, well, it just feels good to be around somebody like that because we have those kind of days. We're going to have those kind of days. Why? 
Because as we say all the time, we live in a fallen world. It's a broken world. We live around and work around sinful people. Uh, and we're all sinful. But when I say sinful, I mean lost people who talk all kinds of ways, do all kinds of things. You watch the news. You see all the meanness going on in the world. It drags you down. But when you come into God's house and you're around fellow believers, it should spur you back on, get you charged back up to go back out and serve the Lord out there. We minister in God's house and we have ministries to do in here, but our biggest ministry is out there. That's our biggest ministry. That's where we make the difference out there. But it says that we are to, to stir up or, or to spur each other on to how? He said stir up love and good works. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. In other words, we should cause each other to be more loving by being around each other, not more hateful, not, not bitter, but more loving because we are around each other. We ought to uh, spur each other on to good works. And I think this is where discipling comes in. Uh, I think that's something that we need to make sure that we have going in the church that sometimes we don't is we need to be discipling people, which is stirring them on or, or stirring them up or spurring them on to do good works, to get involved in ministries and, and plugging them in in different places. People grow better in their walk with God when they are a part of something, some form of ministry in the church. It helps, it helps disciple them. But we need to be watching out for each other as well. If we see somebody that's struggling or if we hear somebody that's struggling... We need to reach out to them in the church and just say, hey, you know, is everything okay? I'll give you a fine example. I had somebody just the other day, and it really wasn't a big deal, but I appreciated them doing it. It made me feel good. But the other day, I had a lot on my mind. It happened to be the day of my uncle's funeral, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about my aunt in Missouri that was about to pass away, which did pass away early this morning. So be praying for the Crosby family. Uh, but we, I had all that. I had a lot of things in my mind, and I was around somebody that really, um, really didn't, we weren't carrying on a conversation or anything, but I was just around them. And I guess I looked a little preoccupied. I didn't even realize that I did. And finally this person said, Brother Vance, you okay? And I said, huh? They said, you okay? And I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And they said, you just seem like you got a lot on your mind. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I do. <laughs> I said, I really do. You know, I said, I didn't realize I looked a certain way. I didn't realize I wouldn't be in my normal self, but I, I do. I have, a, I have a lot on my mind. I said, I, I've got a funeral to go to today. My uncle passed away. I said, I, I was thinking about that. And uh, I said, I was thinking about his family. His, his son, you know, one lives in Alabama. One's going to be left here alone. I said, just a lot of things going on. You know, I said, I just was just, I was processing it all. And they said, well, I could tell you had a lot on your plate. I was just worried about you. And can I be honest with you? That encouraged me. You know, it encouraged me. No more than they said. I was like, well, I, I feel better knowing that you're worried about me. You know, <laughs> thank you. I, so, so it felt good. So what I'm seeing is, is when God moves on your heart to note something different, and I, and I do that sometimes, but I just don't always open my mouth about it. I'm, I'm bad about reading people or trying to read people. If you walk into the church and you're not the way you normally are, I pick up on that real quick like and go, something's not right. You know, sometimes I will go to the, and ask, are you okay? Sometimes I won't and then wish I had her, you know, because I feel like I might have missed an opportunity to, to love on somebody. But it's not a bad idea just to kind of watch people in the church. And if, if something don't seem right, look, and, and love 
Be bold enough sometimes to pull somebody to the side and say, are you okay? I promise you it'll mean the world for somebody that may be struggling to feel like they are cared for and that they're cared about. We need that. That's one of the reasons we come to church. We take responsibility for each other. That's what brothers and sisters in Christ should do. Take responsibility for each other. If they're down or struggling, we need to be there to pick them up. We need to show love, and we need to show that through good works. The last thing I want us to look at here tonight is this. We meet to be encouraged in our faith. Now notice what it says after he says, stir up love and good works. He says it, and this is one of the most quoted verses probably out of Hebrews not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The writer says, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, he just encouraged them there in about three verses that they needed to come together, they needed to hold fast to their confession, they needed to stir each other up in love and good works, but then he, and he kind of warns them, if you want to say that. Uh, he, he warns them not to forsake the assembling together. It, it's so important. Now, anytime you quote that verse, you'll, if you're like me, you'll probably quickly get some kind of response, as we opened up with a while ago. This is why I opened up with the comments that I did. That oftentimes when I say that verse out loud, I'll have people say, well, I don't have to come to church to worship God. Well, you don't. You really don't. Uh, you don't have to come to church to worship God. But I think if you're going to be the effective Christian that you need to be, you'll be in God's house. I think if you love God, you'll want to be around God's people. I think if you want to really grow in your relationship with God, you're going to want to be here. I think it's just something that you should want to do. And I would be willing to say this, and I stand behind my statement. I do. I would say this. If you are a Christian... Who are, who, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here tonight, so this is be for anybody at home listening. But anybody who says they're a Christian and they do not attend church on a regular basis or faithfully, I would tell you that you're probably not very close to God in your walk. I think it's near impossible, and I stand behind that statement. I don't think you can be as close to God as you need to be without being surrounded by fellow Christians. You need that, and I'm basing that on my life. Now, that will probably offend somebody, and we may even get a, a, a little comment on Facebook, Brother Ron. Just, uh, just give it a thumbs up or forward it to me. But that is what I believe. That is Vance Colley's opinion. I just don't think that you... And the reason I say that, if God didn't think the church was necessary or important, He wouldn't have ordained it. He wouldn't have said, we need the church. The church, as David Platt says, is plan A for reaching a lost world. And you will not reach a lost world if you're not in here being encouraged and spurred on by other believers and plugging into ministries. So we need to be here. Again, saying, uh, just kind of reiterating something I've already said, it's a group endeavor. We need each other. We need to be strengthened by one another. And the closer we get, listen, the closer we get to the return of Christ, I think even more important that the church be what it's supposed to be. And that's what the writer is saying here. Notice what he says. When he says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, when he says exhorting one another, notice what he says after that. And so much the more... He says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you need the church more and more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because as the writers in other places in the Bible said, the more you see the days becoming evil, and I don't think you have to be real smart to see that, that the days are becoming more and more evil. That means that I, as a Christian, I need to be in church more than I've ever needed to be in church. I need to be in my Bible more than I've ever needed. I need to pray more. And I need to be strengthened and I need to be encouraged. And we need to spur each other on. Why? Again, to the good works. Why? Because there's a lost community out there that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And as this day is approaching, there'll come a time when that day will arrive. And when that day arrives, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus... Well, it will be too late. So that's why it's so important. Matter of fact, I want us to look here at something quickly, and I'll do this and, and we'll close. And I, I jotted down several, several verses here, and maybe I'll get uh, some of them I wanted to look at and some I didn't, so I hope I don't get them all confused. But if you were to look in Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, I think is where I want to go. If we get there and I read it and it's not, we'll move on. Philippians chapter 1, Paul wrote this. He says here, and, and this is just to talk about this, this day of Jesus Christ. It says, Paul wrote over here, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 10 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So we see the day of Christ is talked about here in multiple places. And I believe this day of, this day of Christ, it's not the, it's not the um, I believe this day of the Christ, or day of Christ here is talking about the rapture of the church. Is what I believe it means. Philippians chapter 2 verse 16 it says, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And I believe this is speaking of the rapture simply because the day of Christ, we're talking about this here, but the day of the Lord, I think, speaks of the, of the wrath, which is the tribulation period, or after the tribulation period when Jesus returns, that's as, uh, as he comes to set up his millennial kingdom. But... I'll say this, and we'll close. i got a lot of other scriptures we're going to read, but I, I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to say this. If you've ever stood around a fire, have you ever stood around a fire at nighttime and roasted marshmallows or hot dogs, or maybe you've been camping, maybe you've done it in your backyard, uh, it could, however you've chosen to do it, but is that wood burns down there it always makes a bunch of coals, which is when the best marshmallow roasting to be done is, is when the fire dies down and it's just hot coals. Uh, we like to set the marshmallows on fire and then blow them out, eat the top layer, burn them again, eat the top layer, burn Oh, you get like three eatings out of one marshmallow. But if you've ever been there and, and kind of been playing with the coals there with your hot dog stick, palmetto stick, and if you've ever raked one of those coals, and I know you've done this just in playing, but if you've ever raked one of those coals out away from the fire, it won't take very long and it'll, it'll, it'll quit glowing. It'll go to black. But as soon as you take that coal and rake it right back in, it'll go right back to glowing again because we've, you've put it back in the fire. You, you've, the other coals there heated it right back up again 
to where it started putting off fire or, or heat again. That's kind of like Christians in a church. You know, if we ever pull one, if we ever pull ourselves out of church and we don't attend like we're supposed to, oh, we've not lost our salvation. I don't believe that. I believe if you're saved, you're saved. I don't believe you can stay in that situation without the chastisement of God upon your life because the Bible tells us that He chastises those that are His and those that He does not chastise, then you're not His. So if you profess to be His and yet you live in sin and never feel the chastisement of God, well, that's a sure sign that you probably don't belong to God. My dad, I, I've told y'all before, uh, when I grew up, he was about discipline. He never disciplined anybody else on my street. It was only me. Why? Because I was his son. That was a sign of, that I belonged to him. And the same way is true with us. But when we get out of sight of, of, of God's will or we don't attend church like we're supposed to, and again, it's not about attending church. It's about wanting to be a part of what God's doing. So one about being part of the body of believers. But when you're not there, you may still be saved, but you kind of lose that fire a little bit. You kind of start kind of fizzling out, so, so to speak. You're, you're not burning near about as hot as you once was, and you just really just kind of smoldering over there is all you're doing, maybe putting off a little smoke. Not much to you. Wouldn't even be good to roast a good marshmallow over. But when we get back into the body of believers like we're supposed to, start attending church on a regular basis, get involved in a small group. And I'm an advocate of small groups. You know why? Now, I know right now we can't have small groups because of, of being in close proximity. But even before this coronavirus came about, there were probably people in this church that weren't involved in small groups, and they needed to be. Small groups is where you grow. Why is that important? Because you can, and, and I see people do this all the time. When I was pastoring that before, over at Patterson, when I was the associate pastor and I was the pastor of the 830 service, we'd have about 150 people show up on a Sunday morning at 830 to worship. But there was always that group of people that I, I could never get to be a part of Sunday school. I could not get them to be a part of discipleship training or anything like that. They just... They, it's almost like they stayed away from me just far enough in, this, in the church building that when worship was over, shoo, out the door they went. And I didn't ever get to shake their hand or talk to them, and I had to bump into them somewhere before I ever get to talk to them. And it's like, they, they, it's like if they were there, but there's about all they were. They were just inside the doors. And I always tried to encourage them, y'all really need to get part of a small group. You, you don't really get to know people until you become a part of a small group. You don't really grow good until you become a part of a small group. And the reason I'm an advocate for that is for this reason. Sometimes in church, you can go three weeks. Now, when a group's small, it's not hard. But when the group's 150 or better, somebody cannot be there for three weeks before I realize that they're not there. Because I'm just one guy looking at 150 people. And so if you sit in the back corner and you don't show up for three weeks, it may take me that fourth week before I go, I ain't seen John and Marcia and I don't know when. And somebody looks and goes, well, they ain't been here for a month. I didn't know that. You know? And the thing is, they may have been struggling for a month and, and I didn't even know it. But when a person is a part of a small group, they miss one Sunday. That small group leader knows they're what here. I wonder if they're okay. They may send them a text message or give them a phone call. That second Sunday, they may go see them. And now all of a sudden, there's a group of people that's loving on them. And because they're being loved on, they're growing more in their relationship because they're a part of something. So that's why it's important to be a part of God's, uh, what God's doing in His, in His church there, to be committed to small groups and, and the fellowship because 
we spur each other on. We lift each other up. We, we help each other in hard times. We should never leave somebody over there to, to squander or, or flounder around in their hardships. We should be there to help pick them up. I tell you, I've had a lot of hard times throughout my life in church with uh, job-related and all different kind of things. And honestly, if it weren't for believers in church, I don't know where I'd be. I'd have people come along and pray for us. Um, you know, sometimes offer us financial help. And Brother Vance, can I help you in any way? Let me do this for you. Uh, people cut my grass, all kinds of things. Because that's what people do. That's what church people should do for each other. We should love on each other, lift each other up. So I believe that church should be way more. The church should be way more than what it is. I think God intended for it to be way more than it is. But we should get into each other's lives. Matter of fact, I owe you guys an apology. I don't apologize. We came uh, Monday to help with the food. And when we got through unloading it, Meg and I jumped in the car. We had to, man, we were, we were making tracks. I had a lot of things to get done on Monday. And we jumped in the car. I didn't tell anybody by, I don't think. I didn't tell David by. I don't think the, uh, I didn't tell the other David by. I didn't tell you by. I shook your hand. But I was on the way to the car, and I got in the car, and we took it down the road. I told Meg, I said, well, that was rude. And she goes, what, what was rude? And I said, we just jumped in the car and took off. And, and I said, I wasn't, in my mind, I was in a hurry. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I told, um, and Meg said, well, I, I thought we did leave kind of abruptly. You know, I said, well, you should have said something to me. But in my mind, I was, I was just, I was in a hurry. You know, got, checking off the boxes. You ever get that way? And when I got in the car driving down the road, I thought, you know what? I should have stood around and talked for a few minutes. I, I should have made sure everybody was okay. You know, it was more than just unloading the food for the food pantry. It was way more than that. It was hanging out with each other, checking on each other, praying for each other if we needed that. But sometimes we get so busy, we just, we're, just, we're just going. We're just running. And I've always said you can tell when a church is healthy and when it's growing. You know when that usually is? It's when church service is over and you can't run anybody off. If a church, if a church, honestly, if a church closes, the service ends, and the people run, jump, get in their cars, and go home, that's usually a sign that things aren't real good. But when things are really good, people stand around, and talk, and laugh. I, when I'll share this with you, and I'll hush. But when Connie and I, um, almost 20 years ago, when we were first called to ministry, and I was speaking around at different churches, we'd get invited. I told y'all that Sunday, we'd get invited to go to churches to fill in when the pastor would either be on vacation or the church wouldn't have a pastor. And honestly, we would, I would speak. I would go to the back door, church about 100. Now, I know I'm just a visiting speaker. I don't know anybody, but still you'd expect a little more. I would stand at the back door, shake people's hands as they were coming through. When the last person came through, I'd turn around, and they wouldn't be a soul in the parking lot. Everybody would be gone. The only people left would be me and Connie, our kids, and the guy waiting to lock the door. That's not very good. I'd be like, we'll see y'all later. And we'll just walk. We walked to the car all by ourselves. You could hear the crickets. It was like, well, okay, you know. And I, I thought, and, and I always said, that's not a good sign. That's not, that's not the sign of a healthy church. When people don't want to stand in fellowship, it means that they really don't care about each other like they should. And it's, it should be good that we stand and we fellowship. And we talk and we laugh and we joke and we check on each other. I think that's important. So tonight, we'll get ready to dismiss. Um, do remember those in our church that are struggling with sickness and those that have had surgery right recently and they're still recuperating. Those who have lost loved ones, uh, please remember them. Uh, do check up on these from time to time. Yes.
Yeah. Now, was okay, I saw something on Facebook, but I couldn't tell who it was about. It was about her? I thought the way it was put, it almost sounded like they were asking Mary and Emery to pray for somebody, but it's Mary that's sick. Okay. See, I, I, I was confused by that whole thing. I saw it yesterday, and I was like, I, I didn't understand the message. Okay. All right, anybody else? Yes. Yes. If y'all saw on Facebook, there was a bad bus accident today in Alma. Uh, uh, a rider truck, I think, was what it was, hit the back of a bus and uh, smashed it up pretty good. Drove it over in the ditch. So don't know how many kids was on there. Just know there were several injured, but don't know to what extent. So, um, so anything else? 